Right. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open the book, the book of James, James chapter number three. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just say how great it is to be back home. Thank you. Thank you so much for your prayers as we were on vacation the last two weeks. We, we were able to get a lot of rest and just kind of recharge the batteries. And, uh, and now we're back and, and very excited to be back. But I can say something uh, about, our, uh, about our trip. As we were over there, we, of course, were in two different churches uh, the two weeks that we were out. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're used to preaching on Sunday morning, it kind of feels a little bit weird where you, uh, you go to a church and I didn't have to lead any music. I didn't have to, uh, you know, talk about offerings. I didn't uh, have a message to give. Um, and let me just say it was awesome to just be able to sit down and hear a message and let it just kind of sink in. Um, I know, I can tell you, as, as you study for a message, um, usually as you're studying, you get a lot of that um, in, in your heart and in your soul. God just kind of speaks to you first uh, through the message. But uh, there's just something about hearing God's word that I, I don't know. You just, there's nothing to compare it to, you know. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's awesome. It's indescribable. What you get when you just get under the preaching of God's word, and so for me it was it was just it was awesome. Uh, and then this morning waking up, going, "Oh, I got to preach this morning." Uh, back to that, uh, but I always find it as a a huge huge blessing to be able to um, to preach God's word every week. I, I think of the Apostle Paul when whenever he's uh, telling Timothy. Uh, just the joy of being called into the ministry, and it is a joy, it is a blessing, and uh, and so, um, and so I'm excited about being able to do that this morning. James chapter number three. We're going to continue our study through the book of James on genuine Christianity. And if you're just joining us uh, for the first time uh, here on in person, or maybe the first time through. Uh, the live stream, we've, we've been learning through the book of James how our faith ought to be something that we use every day. It's, it's something that is practical. It's something that should be genuine. It should be something that affects our life on a daily basis. And it should affect more than just where we go on a Sunday morning. It should affect how we think on Monday morning. It should affect how we talk on Tuesday morning. It, it should affect what we do on Wednesday. I mean, it's something that we ought to live every day. And uh, James, being the first pastor of the church there at Jerusalem, was someone that was really acquainted with kind of getting practical when it comes to uh, our faith. And we learn in, in chapter one, if you remember, uh, we learned that uh, our faith should have a perspective, this perspective of faith in our life, uh, our perspective when going through trials, our perspective of what we should think about our world and the values of this world, the temporariness of this world, our perspective on what we should think when it comes to our speaking. It's, in fact, it says, be slow to speak there in chapter one and swift to hear. Uh, what our perspective should be uh, when it comes to the needs around us. You get to chapter 2, and you go from the perspective of faith to the practice of faith. Now James hits the, the topic of, well, uh, how does that kind of manifest itself? 
It manifests itself more than in just what we say. It manifests itself more than in just what we think about a situation, but what we do in those situations, the, the practice of our faith. So he really fo- starts to focus on works, and he, he begins to teach us how faith and works blends together so that we have a living faith. Right? He said, without works, it's just a dead faith. You, you can have all the perspectives you want. Until those perspectives turn into something of practice, it's dead. There's no life. Now we get to chapter number three today, and we're going to learn about the power of our faith. The power of our faith. Now, as we jump into this chapter, let me just make one quick statement, and it's this. Have you noticed that the smallest details can make the greatest differences in life? I don't know if you've noticed this. The smallest details can make the greatest differences in life. Have you noticed that just a few words can ruin your day or make your day? Right? You, 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 can, you can read something on social media and you can go from having a bad day to, you know what, this day's not so bad. Or the opposite can happen. You can have you having a great day. You read someone's post and you go, why did I even read that post? <laughs> You know, these people, and you know, you start, and it just ruins your day. Just the smallest words, the smallest details can make the biggest differences. I remember growing up, did you ever hear the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? You know how untrue that is, isn't it? I, I, I know why we were taught that. It was kind of like, don't make a big deal. They're kind of telling you this, but it's okay. You know what? You got to rise above that. And I get the point. I think we all get the point of what that saying is trying to help us to do through that situation. But when you analyze it, we do realize words do hurt. They can hurt you, and the Bible says as much in the whole book of Proverbs. He tells that uh, words can can be like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Uh, Words can be healing. They can be something that is just wonderful in your life, or they can be like poison. They can be hurtful. They can be destructive. And so words is something big, and in order for you and I to say words or have words, well, it it requires having a tongue. And so in chapter 3, when you talk about the power of our faith, you'll find that James is going to start talking about our tongue, our words, what we say. And the understanding that words do matter in life, and especially in the Christian life. Now, I didn't put this in your notes, but if you go to Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17, it says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Then verse number 18, he says, but how can they hear unless someone tell them? In chapter 1 and verse 16 of the book of Romans, Paul said this, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe first unto the Jews and then unto the Greeks. And we find that The power of God is the gospel. It's the message. It's these words. The words and the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's fascinating that you need to speak words if you're going to share that message. You need to have a tongue that is functioning right to give that message, to literally give the power of God or share the power of God with others. Now, it's interesting, as I was studying this week, 
some of the uh, fascinating facts that I learned about the tongue because Paul, uh, Paul James is going to teach us a little bit and talk a little bit about the tongue. But on onhealth.com, I found these, these 10 fun facts about the tongue. Did you know that the average tongue is about three inches long? It's just three inches long, um, which is, I don't know, maybe, maybe that, that long. I don't know. That's just the average. Uh, the Guinness uh, Book of World Records, uh, someone had one 3.97 inches, almost four inches long. I imagine they talked all the time. <laughs> That's what I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, the second fact I found was that the, uh, your tongue has between 2,000 and 4,000 taste buds. And you can't even see your taste buds. You say, well, I, I see them when you open your mouth a little bit. They say that the bubbles are not, where your, that those are not your taste buds. That is your, I don't know how to pronounce it, papillae or something like that. Uh, and actually your taste buds rest on top of that. Actually around six of them per little bubble that you see on your tongue. And you can't even see them. They're, they're invisible. But you have between 2,000 and 4,000 in your mouth. Uh, that you can't see, but they're there. You have taste buds in other places besides your tongue. I didn't know that, but they say in the back of your throat and children have it even in their cheeks and you have taste buds everywhere on your tongue, Uh, not just on your tongue. Uh, You don't sense different tastes in different areas of your tongue. They used to believe that you did, that the back was uh, where you've tasted bitterness and saltiness. And now they're they're finding that basically anywhere on uh, on your tongue, wherever the the flavor comes in, you'll, you'll taste it. Uh, the sixth thing that they said was your tongue is not the strongest muscle in the body. Um, and that's interesting, though it works probably harder than any other muscle that you have. The tongue is pure muscle. There's nothing else that your tongue is. It's pure muscle, but it's not the strongest, obviously. Uh, in case you're wondering, your legs are your strongest muscles. But uh, your tongue... Causes a lot of issues, but it's, it's something that works all the time. Uh, number seven, they said taste buds are designed to keep us alive, um, which I thought about that. I was like, wait, I guess that's true. You know, your taste buds make you want to eat again the next day, don't they? Yeah, you, you eat something good. It's like, oh, you know what? I should do this again. And by eating every day, guess what? We can, you can usually stay alive, all right? It, it helps you with your health. Uh, number eight, they said your tongue can get fat. That I did not know. But apparently, your tongue can get fat. You can take my word for it. I don't know. Look online what the reasoning. I read it, and I didn't quite understand it. I said, all right, well, whatever. Uh, I guess it can. Number nine, your tongue print is as unique as your fingerprint. That was very interesting. In fact, they are starting to find if they can somehow use that to identify people. Um, because your tongue print is as unique as your fingerprint. And then the last thing they said was your tongue can say a lot about your health. Uh, in fact, that's exactly why if you go to the doctor's office, they'll get a little tongue suppressor and they look into your throat and into your mouth because it can tell them if you're, if you're eating healthy, living healthy, or it, it gives that uh, indication about your health. As I read those things, I... I went back and then I started reading James chapter 3. And it's funny how science is catching up to the Bible, uh, usually does after a while. But James has a lot to say about the tongue. Just like onhealth.com can give you 10 fun facts about the tongue, James is going to give us some reality, some truths of what 
the tongue does, what the, the, the tongue is, why that, that little muscle in our body that's on average three inches long can cause either the greatest problems in your life or can bring you the greatest joy in your life. Tongues play an important part in our faith. In chapter 2, James kind of puts a pause. Remember in chapter 1, I told you, he said, let's be swift to hear and slow to speak, right? Slow to anger. Then he puts that idea on pause. We get to chapter 2 and he starts talking about our practice. And he says, hey, but works, works are important. Then you get to chapter 3 and he goes, now, I don't mean to say that words don't matter. Faith is not just about our works. Our words also do matter. And so this morning, we're going to look at two truths in the first four verses of James about the tongue and how that really affects our faith and where the power of our faith can come by using our mouths. So I want to share that this morning. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless as we study his word. Father, I pray that as we jump into this passage, I ask that you would just Give me liberty. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to be able to share this message in a way that we can understand, in a way that would be clear, but also in a way that would be effective, and that we would be challenged by your word and encouraged by your word. I pray that your spirit would speak to every heart this morning, and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but as we've already been challenged, to be doers of your word. Help us to understand your truth and to apply your truth this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. My brethren, he says, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. That word perfect means a mature, a grown man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they're turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. What are some truths that we find about the tongue that that James is sharing with us? I want you to notice that first of all, the first truth that we'll look at is the characteristics of the communication of the tongue. Are the characteristics of the communication. He's focusing now on our words and how our words are also should be affected by our faith. Our faith should be shown in the words that we use. Now, our tongue obviously is vital to communication. Without a tongue, we would not be able to speak. Maybe you've known someone that, uh, that uh, something happened with their tongue, that were cut or something, and they lost the use of their tongue, and now they cannot speak. It, uh, the tongue is it's vital. If you're going to have any kind of verbal communication, then this little muscle needs to be working properly. Now, the gospel message, we said, is the most powerful message of the Bible. It is literally the power of God, and that message is given with our tongue. It's given verbally. And the easiest way is to share that message with others is by talking with others, communicating with others. But having that in mind, James says this. Let me give you a warning about that. 
It's funny because when I first read that, I'm going, where in the world is James? It's kind of like you read the end of chapter two that we studied. And he says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. I, I mean, sorry, that was in, that was verse 24. Verse 26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. My brethren, be not many masters. Like, he didn't divide this up by chapter and verse like we have it. So I was thinking like, okay. Following the train of thought, what, where did that come from? And it just seems like, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, a lot of people, commentators believe James is kind of, he's taking that format, right? So he, he really shifts so quickly between ideas, and he goes from works to words. And he starts off with a warning in the way that we use our words. And he says, not many of you should be masters. Now, the word there, masters, is what we would call teachers today, like a school teacher, okay? And he says, not many of you ought to be school teachers. Not many of you ought to be teachers of the faith. Uh, Why? The warning. He's not saying that you shouldn't be. He's not saying don't share the gospel unless you have a PhD degree. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is just know this as you share the words, the power of God, as you use your mouth for the glory of God. I want to give you some practical things to think about. Let me give you, first of all, a warning about this. And this warning has two characteristics. The first one is this. He says, there's a great responsibility in sharing. All right? The the reason that he's saying, not many of you should, he's saying, because not many of you are ready to be teachers. Remember, he's talking to to people that were scattered out of Jerusalem. Some may have been Christians for six weeks, others maybe for six months, maybe others for six years. And and he's saying, there's some of you that that before y'all were scattered abroad, uh, you had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. You're, You're still learning about what the Bible teaches about justification and what the Bible teaches about salvation. And and you're learning about all this in faith. And he says, for some of you, you gotta be careful. Well, now when you are are beginning to grow in your faith and learning this, he says, as you begin to share, understand there's a great responsibility in that. There's a great responsibility in sharing that message of the gospel. As a teacher, listen, it's the the biggest task of any teacher is that the student learns, right? To, to communicate. <laughs> you, you, um, I've talked to, to those that have gotten degrees in teaching. Isn't a lot of your teaching classes how to prepare a lesson, how to teach a lesson? Okay, I got to communicate uh, with my students. I got to make sure that what I'm teaching them, they're actually grasping. And there's a whole field of study, right? On that, just that, that subject alone of how to teach, And there's a great responsibility as you, as a teacher, to make sure that student is learning. Sometimes we want to always blame students, especially if we're teachers. I'm a teacher. If we're we're teachers, sometimes we want to blame the students, right? Many times it's like, if they're not learning, it's because they're just not that bright. I mean, you know, it can't be my teaching. It's got to be that they're not that great. And the reality is sometimes... Students aren't learning because there's not a teacher there that's understanding the great responsibility that they have. And they're not preparing and they're not studying and they're not praying. They're not doing what they ought to do to make sure that they're, they're doing to the best of their ability to give the task that is at hand, to, to bring that student up in their knowledge and in their understanding. And so 
James is simply saying this. Listen, we're going to start talking about words in your faith. Your faith ought to affect what you talk about, in other words. And if you're going to be talking about the gospel, understand there's a great responsibility in that. There's a great responsibility that you ought to not take lightly. Can I say it this way? Do you know that the greatest conversation you'll ever have with someone is about the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's the greatest message that's ever been told. This is the greatest book that has ever been written. It's the greatest conversation you could ever have with someone else. And James says, just don't take it lightly. Don't look at it as, ah, well, you know. It really doesn't matter. I heard someone say this, and as long as it's here, say, yeah, that's what I'll share with people. James is saying, understand that when you become someone that's sharing what you're learning, when you become someone that's sharing the precious truths of God's word, understand there's a great responsibility. Be sure to take time to learn and to grow yourself. That's why Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I put it in your notes. He said, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ, those that we're going to be teaching and sharing of the gospel of Christ and the message of the Bible. He says, as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he says, moreover, because that is our task, because that's what we've been called to do. He says, moreover, it is required. Remember, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Don't take it lightly. Don't act like, ah, it's just church talk. No, no, no. It's church talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just what the Bible says. No, 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 no. It's what the Bible says. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm not just saying just words on a page. No, no, we are, we are sharing and giving eternal truth. At one point, when many were scoffing at the disciples and scoffing at Jesus, Jesus said, hey, don't give pearls to swine. Okay? In other words... Don't, don't, don't sit here and if they're just mocking and cursing and, hey, listen, understand that what you have, this is pearls, pearls of wisdom. Not everyone is always going to receive them. Some are going to act like swine is what Jesus was saying. But you and I better understand there's a great responsibility when we share that. The first characteristic that we need to understand is there is a great responsibility in our words and what we're sharing. But then I want you to notice the second characteristic, and that is there is a great accountability for what we share. A responsibility in sharing, but an accountability. Look at what James says. He says, we shall receive the greater condemnation. Understand when you're taking that role of sharing and using your words that God has given you to give the greatest message and to give the greatest power that this universe has ever known, understand there's an accountability for that. People are going to listen. People are going to follow. And that's why it's important. Listen, you say, oh, but, but, but pastor, I'm not a school teacher. No one, I don't have students. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, even have a, a Sunday school uh, class right now. We're not even having kids classes that I'm teaching right now. So, so I guess this doesn't apply to me. I would just simply say there's people around you, like your children that you're teaching, like your grandchildren that you're influencing. And understand that what you teach them and how you influence them, you're going to give an account for. God says there's a greater accountability for the words that you're saying. 
If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, look at the conclusion of this. Fear God, because you're going to be judged. Of all your words, of all that we did, listen, that's, that's there. So it's important for us to understand there is a greater accountability in teaching and using our words. There are consequences to our words. As someone that's sharing, you'll be examined more closely. Like it or not, as someone that is a minister of Christ, one, and by the way, we are all ministers of Christ. We are all uh, made priests to, to, to be able to share that faith. We are that uh, peculiar people. We've been made that. So God wants us to share, but he says, understand, one, there's a great responsibility in that. Two, the accountability for that is going to be great. You've got to understand that you're going to be held to a higher standard. Uh, have you ever noticed this? Like someone's in society can be the worst person, and we'll talk about him very little, but let a pastor mess up and cheat on his wife, and suddenly it's front page news. We, we look at a man like Carl Lentz, and if you don't know him, he was a pastor of a church in New York, Hillsong Church. It was one of the largest churches, and then find out that he was living a, a, a life of immorality, and, and that's made front news, front page. But if a senator does it, it can be swept under the rug, right? It, it's just that when you're, you're leading and you're sharing something so powerful, listen, you're going to be examined a little bit more closely. And listen, even God says, I, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard. In fact, you say, well, where do you say and where do you see that in, the, in, in James? Uh, you don't see it in James, you'll see it in Luke. James is kind of just under the supposition that we know this. But in case you don't know it, look in your notes there in Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus talking. He's talking about stewardship. He's talking about being his servant. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, and that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, okay, didn't take his responsibility serious, neither did according to his will, to his, what his master wanted him to do, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with fewer stripes. But unto whomsoever much is given of him, much should be required. And to him, uh, and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Here's what God is saying. Hey, the word you're saying, there's an accountability. I'm holding you. Yeah, others are going to hold you to a higher standard for sure, but so am I. So there's a warning at the beginning of the words that we use. Because somebody might have taken chapter 2 and said, you see, what we say really doesn't matter. It's just what we do. No, no, no. James said, what we do matters because it gives life to our faith. But what we say matters because it's the power behind our faith. And there's a responsibility in that. And there's an accountability to that. And so before you think that, ah, you know, I'm just, I know everything the Bible has to teach. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't take it that lightly because there's still more. There's still more. There's still more. And so there's an accountability there that we must understand. And let me just say this quickly, and then I'll move on to the last point here. That, that process of accountability actually makes us grow. In, in chapter 2, that's what, that's what he's talking about. For in many things we offend all. In other words, we're not all perfect. 
We all mess up. And if we're, we're held to this high standard, yeah, we're not going to meet that standard, okay? He says, if, if anyone doesn't, if never said a word that's wrong, if you've never said something you regret, then, wow, you're, you're, you're amazing. Then, then, then you're there. But he says that the goal, you might not be perfect literally and never messing up, but he says, as you mess up, if you learn, if you learn, if you begin to understand, there's a great responsibility in what I'm to say. There's a great accountability that I will give an account to God for the words that I'm saying. If you can get the grasp how big that is, then then you'll, you'll begin to grow. You'll begin to mature. That, that, that's, all, that's all he's saying in verse number two is that the, the, the person that understands that, yeah, yeah, we mess up. We may not reach that, but we are striving for that. Well, that's someone that, that understands they're growing. And then he says in the last phrase of that verse and can bridle his tongue, he can control his body. He said, not bridle his tongue, bridle his body. He says there in verse number, uh, in verse number two, he says, is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. So we find this, first of all, there's this warning that he gives and it's the characteristics of this warning on communication. He said, I'm going to talk to you about the words now of your faith and the power that it has. Then he gives us something else in verse 3 and 4, and that is the control and the communication of our words, of the tongue. Because of the characteristics of communication and what it brings about, James now stresses the importance of controlling our tongues. That's why, hey, you have a great responsibility. There's a great accountability. Okay, so understanding that, control your tongue. Make sure about what you're talking about. Be careful of who you're talking about and how you say what you're going to say. And he uses two different examples to illustrate how we control and how the, the tongue, how, how that will help us in controlling uh, everything. First, he talks about the horse, right? And here's what the tongue is to do. It, it is to control the pressures from within. Now, if you know anything about horses, you know that naturally they're wild animals, okay? They're fearless animals. I, I remember um, my... It was my, in between my freshman and sophomore year of college. That summer, I had, a, I had to make some money, and I needed it to get back into school for the next semester. And so I went to Florida uh, to work with uh, my, my uncle. He's got a cleaning business. And so I started working with him. And uh, there, was a, there was a man there that was a, an associate and a partner with, with my uncle and his company. And he had a farm. And, uh, and he kind of liked the way I, I worked, and uh, he knew I needed some extra money cleaning uh, the offices that we had, the buildings. It was at night. It was a night job. So during the day, I was free, and, and so he said, hey, if you want to put in some more hours, make some more money, why don't you go work on, on my farm? I said, sure. How hard can that be? Right? Uh, so I, I went to the farm. He had me planting some trees at the beginning. I was like, that's great. And he had dairy cows. Now, I've never been around livestock, okay? I'm a proud, like, city bred and born, and, and I, 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 I cannot live and have a farm, okay? I, I am happy to be in the city. I have no desire to be a, a rancher or a cowboy. And that was the first time I'd been around uh, these dairy cows. And um, let me just say, first of all, their tongues are longer than three inches, okay? I know that. They're huge. These animals, I mean, so I was really scared because they're huge, 
okay? And I remember I had to go put these salt blocks because they, they licked the salt uh, apparently for, I don't even ask them why. I just, okay, I just put it there and they, they lick it. And that's where I saw that their tongues were massive. Their eyeballs are like, I don't know, they're huge, um, different than what I had seen in pictures, right? And then they're just, they're just so heavy. So, so I'm, in the, you know, I'm in the middle there putting the thing and when they would move, <laughs> I kid you not, my heart would stop, okay? Uh, and you, it, 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 I, I never thought I'd be scared of a dairy cow, but I was, okay? And they're not even like, it's not like they're wild or anything. They're just, they're dairy cows. Um, but he had one horse, okay? One horse there on the property. Had no bridle, had no uh, saddle. It was just kind of roaming there in the grass. And uh, there's a movie that I grew up with um, watching called The Man from Snowy River. Has anyone seen that other than my family? Okay, okay, some others that are not my family. Okay. So uh, if you remember in the movie, near the end, he's, he's trying to tame this stallion, right? Um, in, in the second part, in the return of Snowy River. And there's this black stallion, and this horse is just like gorgeous. And I love horses, okay? I really, really do. I've only been uh, on one horse in my life, uh, and it was tame, and it was nice, and I got to ride him. This one I thought would be similar. I don't know why I thought it would be similar. I just thought it would be similar. And in the movie, right, the main character, he goes up to the horse, and he's like talking. He's like, "Mm, it's okay, it's okay. And he gets to this stallion, and he begins to pet his nose, and then he pets his neck, and slowly puts the bridle on, he puts the saddle on, and the next scene, he's on that horse, and it's flying. It's amazing. For whatever reason, I thought, maybe I could do that. <laughs> so, so I go to the horse, and I start, hey, buddy, it's okay, and I'm going slow, and I'm going slow, I'm not making any big movements, just like I saw in the movie, and... I actually get to the nose and I start petting it. And he does a little, but it didn't scare me too much. But then he didn't do nothing. I said, okay. So I start petting him on the nose. And then I thought, well, let me pet him on the neck because that was the next thing in the scene that he did. I started petting him on the neck, but I was still kind of in front of him. And I thought, well, let me just get beside him to pet more of his neck. And as as soon as I took that right step. He did exactly what this white horse did. And I'm telling you, I would have beat Usain Bolt in a race. I mean, I just, I turned around, I flew out. I mean, I was running for my life, all right? He wasn't even chasing me. By the time I turned around, he was back eating grass and not even caring what I was doing. But man, I was so scared. And naturally, that's what horses are. They're, 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 they're just, they're not tame. They're wild as it is. And, and you actually have to kind of calm them down and, and tame them. You, and it takes more than just, a, oh, it's okay, buddy, and rubbing their nose and neck. I found that out. It takes more than that. In fact, it takes the bridle, right? This bit that you put in their mouth to make sure that they start getting tame. That you can take a wild horse and make him go wherever you want to go. And, and James in verse number three tells us this. He says, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. This little piece of metal can take this strong, fearless horse and make him as gentle as a baby. And he says, now I want you to understand that your words and your tongue needs to be controlled. Did you know that our tongue is just as wild as a horse? Our tongue, when it is 
When it's ready to pounce, it'll, it'll say things, won't it? Uh, when a hammer falls on our thumb, our mouth will let everyone know that it did. And usually with a word that's probably not acceptable in society. Right? Our mouth usually, man, it's, it's, it's hard to tame. It's hard to tame when someone is accusing you of something falsely. Man, don't you want to just say something a little bit back? Don't we want to let our wild, right, uh, emotion kind of just, let's let it go. You know what they need? They need a little bit of truth, and I can tell them the truth. And James says, listen, it's a powerful thing, great responsibility, great accountability that you're going to have, so you need to control it. And I love that he talks about a bit and a horse because that is really the things that are within that horse is untamable naturally, but the bit helps it to calm down. When we begin to control our mouth, the more that we can get more of his words into our life, the more our mouth can be controlled and we can start talking about the right things and responding the right way with our mouth. So James is saying the control of our tongue needs to begin with those pressures that are within just like a bit controls that horse, listen, the word of God ought to be the bit in our mouth that controls us and how we respond and what we say. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says there. I put it in your notes. I therefore so run, Paul said, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, man, this thing of control it's ongoing. <laughs> this thing of subjection, it's ongoing. And we might win the battle on Monday, but let me tell you something. If you're not ready to fight on Tuesday, you're going to lose because it's untamable. So be sure when you wake up on Tuesday morning, get the bit of God's word in your mouth. Say, God, control me. Control my words, my reactions of how I talk to people. Why? Because you're leading. He says, listen, I, I gave you a warning. You are teachers. God has made us to be a teachers, but not all should be teachers. Just be careful that you understand there's a responsibility and accountability. But in verse number four, he gives us another perspective, and I'll be done here. He says, just like a horse is untamable without the bit, he says, look at a ship. A ship, how big it is. Look how, how big the ships are, and yet they're, they're controlled by just a very small helm. They're facing winds, they're facing waves, they're facing storms, and yet all they need is just a little helm, what we call a rudder, to control it. What's James saying about that? I believe he's saying our tongue ought to be controlled even from the pressures without Things happen to us in our own spirit, in our own self. We want to respond in a way. He said, well, we'll control that response. Well, well, that, that's you. But then those pressures without, he says, listen, your tongue should be controlled in those situations as well. He said, those, those things that come into our life that we didn't ask for, that we didn't even really bring upon ourselves, we could say. He said, still, in those situations, control your mouth. Control what you say. 
If you've ever seen a rudder, it's, it's actually very small. In fact, I, I have a picture of a, of a boat, and, and, and you can see the boat is super, super long. I, uh, and, and, and at the back there, uh, right near the, the end, you'll see the rudder. I know it's maybe a little more difficult on the screen to, to see it, but if you look on the left side of the boat, right on the bottom where, where there's that uh, angle there, you, that's where the rudder is at. And if you need a closer picture, I got a, a little zoomed up a picture. And, and that rudder, it's just, it's kind of there. There's two kind of rudders that you can use, a semi-balanced and a balanced. We're not going to get into that. All you have to know is that little piece right there controls wherever that ship's going. And here's what James is saying. Just like that gigantic ship that's moved by winds and storms, is controlled just by that little rudder. He says, when the storms of life come into you, into your life, they, they, they start coming in to attack that faith. Understand, that little three-inch muscle that you have called a tongue needs to be controlled. It's not time to just kind of let it go wild. No, no, no. It's time to control it there, to navigate through those external pressures in life. You know, like when things happen at work, listen, the best thing is probably not, I'm going to go tell my boss right now and let him know. Tell him off. That's not, no. This coworker, you know, I'm tired of having to work with him every day. I'm just tired of, I'm just going to go let him know. You know, the Bible says suffer with them. Love them. Patiently work with them. And that includes the words that we share with them. Yeah, but you don't understand how it is to work with him. No, I, I don't. I don't. I'm just telling you. James is saying, hey, those, those, those external pressures, it's still not an excuse to let your mouth go wild. He says, control it. That's why I love what uh, Psalms chapter 107, look at it there in your, in your notes. Psalm 107, verse 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He said, when the storms, right, those external pressures are coming, he said, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to control your tongue. Hey, use that tongue instead of cursing everybody else out and telling them, oh, I got to just tell them how it is. Instead, the psalmist said, oh, that people would just use their mouth to praise the Lord about his goodness. You know what you ought to do when the external pressures of life get really, really bad? Start singing. Sing to the Lord. Start reading his word. Maybe go to him in prayer. Are you burdened, heavy laden? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Listen, all I'm saying is this is the way we control that. You let the word of God be a bit in your mouth when the internal wants to get out of control. You let the word of God be a, a helm, a rudder in your life when the external pressures want to move you here and there so that you can stay on the path that God wants you to stay on. But it begins with controlling this, your mouth. This morning, there's a lot of power in the Word of God. There's the power of our faith is found in what we share with others and what we say and how we use this, this tongue of ours. But with all of that, 
remember the characteristics of the responsibility you have, the accountability that you have that you will give. Remember, hey, God, be the bit that I need for this internal, wild, untamed heart that I have. And God, help me when the winds of life are trying to blow me off course, help me to use your, your word as that, that rudder. Help me to speak of your praises, not about the failures of others. Help me to glorify you and not talk about them. That, that, that is the control that we are to have. That's the faith that we are to exercise on our mouth. So this morning, it's, it's pretty simple. The question is, how's your tongue doing? Is it something that needs some help today and just say, you know what? This past week, Jeremy, to be honest, I ain't been doing the best with that. I need to make a decision today. God, help me to control. Be that bit in my mouth. And you might say, hey, this week, I did get off course. And I started great on Monday. I started great on Tuesday, man. But by Thursday, I was getting off course. I just need God to be, I need his word to be the rudder in my mouth. Not use my social media to take out all of my anger, but use it to just talk about how good God is. To share the blessings that God's given me with others. How's that tongue? In chapter 1, James said this in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not the man that think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He says, control. May our faith, in a practical way, shape what we talk about and how we say it. And we have a lot of power has been given to us. The greatest message ever. Let's use our mouth to share that message with power. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for just this reminder. It's so simple. Oh, but so difficult sometimes to live. Oh, Father, our faith that we have received is a, a faith that has power. And so I pray that as we, as we wield that power, as we think about how it applies, I pray that it would be, it would be something that we use in a way that would glorify you. Uh, as James reminded us, there's a great responsibility this week and what we share with others in our, in our workplace and our neighbors and our community, with our friends and family. Help us to use your word as a bit in our mouth so that we not say things that are hurtful and mean, but use our words to uplift and to encourage and to edify. And help us not to be blown away off track to what our purpose is in life. Because these external winds and these storms sometimes can just take us way out of the way from the way we were going. 
Help us to use your word as that rudder that guides us through those times. That in those times of storm, we can just praise you because you're with us in the storm. Because your hand is still with us and your presence is still there. Your provision is always there because you've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that we'd be able to apply these truths into our faith today. Help us to live them out this week. I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.